Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm your radio, radio show! Hello and welcome to the Nylar 9 podcast. On this week's podcast, we will be talking very briefly, like right now, about how Cardi B told the NYPD to suck a fart. Oh my God. <laughs> Hello. We're also doing tracks of the week from uh, the likes of Kim Gordon, Girl Band, Kojak and Luca Palm and more. And there's more, 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 more from it, the Murder Capital. The album oh, of the week is, is uh, I Have Fears. Um, I'm here. It's Nylar 9 with Andrea Cleary. Hello. Sorry, I'm still shook from this Cardi B news. <laughs> that's I, all, I that's like all that. I, I don't um, know any Cardi B news coming in and then you just hit it, hit me with it <laughs> right yeah. off the right off the bat. Yeah, to be honest, that's all there is. So that's all I wanted to say. That's fine. She told the NYPD to suck a fart after well, they shut good. down a back to school charity event. What the hell, NYPD? I don't know, but uh, we'll just leave that there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Come on, Cardi. Good. So, uh, yeah, welcome along to the Nine Nine podcast. We'll be talking about new music and uh, news and what's happening in music at the moment. Uh, another thing happening in music, uh, which was announced today, Billie Eilish became the first artist born this millennium to earn a number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Mm. Even though her song Bad Guy has been out in months, apparently it just hit the, it knocked Old Town Road off the top, finally. It finally happened. Usurped after 18 weeks, I believe. 18 or 19 weeks. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, yes, Billie Eilish was born on December 18th, 2001, which uh, is surprising, actually, in the way she's the first one um, of her generation. You would think there'd be somebody else by this point. You know, she's she's a young achiever, for sure. Yeah. 2001 seems very recent, though. I, I mix up to, like things like 2001 and 2011 a lot. I'm like, oh yeah, no, that, that was back in... 2011 is much more recent, 2001. It, much more <laughs> recent. Yeah, when, when people start, you know, topping the Billboard 100 who are born in 2011, mm-hmm. then, yeah. I'll, then I'll start getting worried, but yeah. I think with ages, it's, it's always stuff like um, Italian 90 and things like that. It's like, you're, what was your first World Cup you remember? And people are like, uh, 1998, and you're like, no, this is wrong. Oh, mine is 2001. 
is that a, was that a World Cup? 2003, 2000 no. something. 2000. Well, 2000, yeah. That was Korea, Japan, I think. No, that, that 2002. 2002, 2002 would have been, yeah. Um, like, I was definitely alive and, you know, self-aware during the other ones, but I wasn't as interested. I think Ireland didn't qualify for any of those ones. That's probably why. Yeah, I think so. And then, did Brazil win? Um, I think Brazil France won. won that one and maybe Brazil won that one. I'm not sure mm, well I obviously don't remember it that clearly <laughs> no. in the end but yeah it's um like Italian 90 I was born that year so yeah okay see that's that's where I'm like ah uh, difference yes yeah there are things that are different I was, <laughs> I was, I was eight when that happened oh okay you were like prime getting into football age then yeah well I mean everybody was into football that year yes that's, Galachi, that's fair that I saw a clip of um Somebody shared that the 1990 reeling in the years is like obviously the best one. And I watched the clip of just some goals that Ireland scored. And I think penalties. Uh, oh, it was when we, it was the match that qualified us for the quarterfinal. Uh, yeah. Semifinal. Um, the, uh, this, yeah, the second round, I think, was it? Something like that. Yes, that was when we played Romania. And we off we Bayern. won off off pen, penalties, and yes. I was watching the clip, and I just started crying. <laughs> I, was, I was just so swept up in it. I was like, "Oh, that I was wish I was alive." Was it in Genoa? Yeah, there you go. Ireland against Romania, a very boring game, nil nil. Yeah, to Mofte against Bonner. There you go. That's it. See, it's ingrained in me now. Yeah, I know it all so well. <laughs> and funny, speaking of Italian ID, um, at the festival I was at over the weekend, oh. another love story. The very first thing I heard when I came in on the Saturday. Uh, was Tonchon Bebe doing a kind of uh, football mega mix? They were doing Italian ninety and put them under pressure and all this kind of stuff as well. So that's a great idea. Yeah. And actually, somebody was one of the band was wearing a Fox Galachi t shirt. So there you go. You know, there you go. Uh, I think that dates us all. All the people that were there, anyway. Not me. <laughs> I'm mad young. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I was at another love story. As many of you, I'm sure, would know if you are familiar with what I'm doing with my life. What am I doing with my life? Um, I have talked about another love story as my favorite festival, and I'm delighted to announce it is uh, has remained my favorite festival. Good. Um, even though I was only there for about twenty four hours or less, uh, I had a great time. It's brilliant. It's so lovely. It's got all those like all the things. It's fun. After talking about um, all together now recently. And all the problems and issues it had. It's just a different, completely different beast. It's a tiny festival, a thousand people maybe or less mm. or around that. Um, everything is set up all so close to each other. It's in a, an old manor house in Mead, Cologne Manor. Um, they use a ballroom and the library and, and the front room for uh, for their venues. They've uh, they built a bigger, larger main stage at the back out, out, uh, on, in a field. Everything is kind of all around each other. There's a little like chapel, abandoned chapel that they've kind of turned into an art installation. Mm -hmm. And some of the acts play out there in the in the afternoons. Um, there's the shift shack, which is where I played, which is um, kind of a basically an outhouse that can fit about 50 people. I saw one of your Instagram stories of that. And I thought that's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Very small space. And like the, the security guard at the door was just like, just push in there. Go on, just push in. It's like the opposite of every other festival. Like, Go on, you'll make it there. Go on, like, it wasn't like no, you'll have to wait. It's yeah, like, just get in there. Go on. Uh, it's been. It was such a great festival. Um, Sunday at another love story is always the typically the hangover, chilled out day, relaxed day. Um, so uh, Peter Broderick, the uh, artist, uh, was doing covers of Arthur Russell songs for an hour. It was brilliant. Oh, that sounds really lovely. lovely. And I think, like he said himself, you could do whole other set of Arthur Russell songs mm. in a 
he has so many of them and it was so lovely and i missed even some of it cormac begley was on um really lovely like sunday afternoon chill vibes and um it finished with lubor melnick the uh, lithuanian pianist and they kind of have a finale at the end of the sunday which is it really marks the festival out as something different you're like mm. you go on sunday it all finishes at eight o'clock Emmett uh, Condon from Home Beach gets up and, and says a little speech thanking everybody and they play one more song on the PA and that's kind of it. That's lovely. So it's kind of, like it, it has, it's it, like it, there's a narrative almost to that day where mm. you're like, it's not like everybody has a random, everyone has a lovely random night on Saturday and you can go and hang out by the river at 7am, not saying I did that, but maybe I did. Um, but you can do that and then. Oh, were you up very early? I, you must have set your alarm for like six. I then. did, yeah. Gosh. Yeah, I went out for a walk. Lovely. Waiting for everyone to wake up. Oh, that, that's <laughs> how you do it. That's yeah. how you do festivals right yeah, now. Yeah, get up for a, go for a run. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was lovely. It's just a lovely festival. And all of the little things are all absolutely, like, I'm almost passionate about their ability to, uh, or their attention to detail. And mm. I love the fact that there's bins everywhere, but the bins are also covered by, it's very simple. It's like small bin, regular bin you might get from home a big plastic one but it's all covered by um some nice kind of uh dressing okay that makes it look like it fits in yeah and it's all very clearly marked about what you go in each one there's four of them you know like bins are important mm. at festivals they you are know, we're talking a lot about like waste and all that kind of stuff that gets mm. left behind at festivals and um yeah another love story it is a smaller festival so it's a uh, easier thing to happen but um the no tents were left behind no rubbish was left behind mm. at the end of the festival things like there's lovely little water uh taps that you can uh use and there's just loads of them and i mean for the amount of people that are there it's perfect yeah it's a lovely lovely festival so I, how just, long is that festival going for uh, i think this is the fifth year perhaps okay yeah, it hasn't and really have, grown has the, too much. But that's, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Has it always been around about a thousand people? Uh, no, I think the first one was like three or four hundred. Okay. Uh, it, it was very much like a, a long weekend, kind yeah. of friends and family almost. Um, and then it's grown since Like now. a Turk Fest thing where it's like this is very small. And yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and it hasn't lost. Um, there's always a danger when a festival grows, even by a few hundred or five hundred or whatever, that it could lose its identity a bit. But what key to another love story, I think, is that um homebeat uh who book it and happenings who are involved as well they don't put on acts to sell tickets they put on acts that are going to be interesting to the audience that arrive mm. and so you get at no point do you really get like acts that are there just because they have to fill uh, sell a certain number of tickets it's mm. all there's a huge element of discovery on, at the festival like I didn't even see him but there was a guy called Anchor Song that played a Japanese guy who played in the ballroom on Saturday evening and I heard lots of great things about him yeah. and then like uh, some of the other people that, uh, which I wasn't there for but I heard like Dowry Anna Brennan had a great set as well just even the ballroom like they had a, such a lovely backdrop it was all this um, uh, like dried flowers and floral stuff and just a really like unique setup mm. and so yeah they did it once again they um, um outdid themselves once again so look i don't know i can keep going on about it and people are listening to me because i know people got back to me after this weekend and were like i i wanted to go after you t said how great it was yeah. and then everyone who's talked to me in that capacity has said it is as good as you said it was so i was like yes, okay next year yes, next year i will go um i also ended up at uh, the love sensation festival on you, sunday you sure did on yeah. sunday got, well, <laughs> i may have gone to bed at 7 a.m and i may have got a phone call at half 10 that morning uh three hours later three and a half hours later asking would laboon play a 
uh, fill in for the gossip. Who um, <laughs> we we just kept saying, bet bet did up, fell down the stairs. We just started saying the whole band fell down the stairs okay. in the airport. I didn't, so, I didn't hear that at all. Yeah, so she couldn't do the gig, and so oh. all very last minute, so uh, Laboom got drafted in to do uh, Love Sensation. Weather wasn't great on the Sunday. I don't think it was full capacity, maybe about half. I don't, not sure, hundred percent, but uh, it wasn't full, full, and mm. it rained a lot as well, but. Seems like a nice uh, festival. Apparently, the Saturday was much busier, mm. um, and uh, it's more an LGBT friendly kind of festival. Um, it is uh, Mother put it on and mm. with uh, help from the likes of MCD. So it's a good idea. I'd love to see uh, like some more interesting bookings, and hopefully they will continue next year and do more stuff. They had the likes of Clean Bandit and Lily Allen and Khalees. I heard Lily Allen was great. Yeah, I didn't mm. hear anything about it to be honest, but um, yeah, it was good. It was good. Nice festival, but look, another love story is my is the one close to my it's heart. It's the one for you. Yeah, it is, totally. Good. It's the kind of one that I look forward to. Yeah. And it has never let me down, so. Hey, I will 100% go next year. Very good. Um, were you at any festivals over the weekend? No, funnily enough. Um, decided to to stay in and not do very much at all. Festival um, one. Yes, I um, or two. guest hosted uh, a couple of episodes of a different podcast. I'm Ooh, very tell sorry. Tell the people what you have going on. Um, well, they'll be coming up in a couple of weeks, so maybe I'll I'll hold off until until the episodes come I've out. But, been um, about it, we but know. oh yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> the lovely Juvenalia crowd um, asked me to come in and guest host a couple of episodes. So one was about Star Trek, the original season. Or the original series, and the other was about uh, the enemy from the years 1979 to 1985. And I've I've done Juvenalia before. It's just such a lovely podcast to do. So I'd just like to give them a little shout out and say thanks for having me. And they'll be coming out over the next few weeks. You'll see on my Twitter. Lovely. Yeah. So, so that was a nice that. a nice way to spend my Saturday. Yeah. Cool. Um, we reviewed the album from Bonnie Ver uh, last week. I, I, have you been listening to it much since then? I have because I have been reviewing it, and that will be on the thin air in the next couple of days, I think. Um, and so, yeah, re- returning to it then and kind of fi- finishing that off. I, yeah, I, I, I kind of like it like more than I even did last week. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it still. Are you still listening to it? Yeah, yeah? totally. Yeah. Big time. It's one of the few things I'm listening to in the last yeah. week. Else. I keep putting off listening to the new Marika Hackman album, which I really, really want to listen to because I'm still listening to Bonnie Vare. Do it when you're ready. Yeah, yeah. We'll get around to it. So it's you no can rush. enjoy it. Yeah. Well, noted king of interviewers, um, Zane Lowe, uh, had um, Bonnie Vare, Justin Vernon in on Beats One uh, to talk about the new album. And one of the things that Vernon talked about, you may remember this from last year, he was talking about his um, collaboration with Eminem that he wasn't exactly happy about oh yeah and he tweeted that he was just really disappointed that it was he was like he didn't want to be on the album uh didn't want to be on the track it got used by the producer and uh he didn't realize the context that the song was going to be his vocals were going to be there was like the word faggot was used at some point in the song Mm. he was like i don't want my song myself being involved well he's just been talking about that idea of like tweeting about stuff randomly um and he says stuff like just talking about social media like i don't like that people can be verified or not verified this is the latest thing i've seen a few people talk about first of Mm. all it was like the likes of kanye and people like that talking about it we don't want to see how many likes we have on instagram and now it's like okay the verification and the blue tick and what that means for Mm. people and like how people covet it um interesting i don't want to be verified i just find it all pretty funny you end up doing shit like somebody told me i was listening to a podcast where they're like 75 percent of retweets of people 
are, are from people who don't read the articles. <laughs> I well believe that. <laughs> and he yeah. said, yes, like I've done that. Um, and he's just talking about like that fallout from that tweet. He was like, we haven't really adapted to this. I didn't have a cell phone or the internet really even in high school. So we're all adapting and get pretty ugly. Like I made a huge mess out of that Eminem song. And I was just in a car wash <laughs> and I just tweeted. <laughs> it's like, what was I doing? Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think he had like reason to be annoyed. Absolutely, yeah. So you know, I and mean, Twitter is you know it's the place where you go when you have to explain yourself or whatever. And yeah, no, I'm definitely with them with the verification thing. I know that it started out as a a concept of like this is a person who might be impersonated a lot. Like you, you should know that this is the actual verified official person. But now it's it's not really that anymore. Like no, I mean it. I guess it's lost its meaning uh, in lots of ways. I I have a blue tick on Twitter, but literally I think it's because I met somebody from Twitter. Okay, who I know who like will you introduce me? Recommended <laughs> that I be given the blue tick. Yeah, yeah. But like that's yeah, a funny you know, one, isn't it? It's... Some people have started like fake Nyler profiles. So okay, in that fair. regard, you'd be like, uh, it'd be nice to just have that there for all, so people know it's mm. the official one. So it does have some level of um, yeah, it it definitely has its use. But when people go after it for like some kind of validation reasons, mm. when it's a problem, I've actually been listening. I listened to a podcast called "Why'd You Push That Button," which is about like social media, like little things like that about social media. They did a whole episode about uh, verification, okay, and blue ticks and why people wanted them. They talked to loads of people about it, mm. and then they talked to like Instagram and Twitter uh, people who work for them to about the process and all that kind of stuff. So there's been a few of those. I've been thinking about a lot recently, so it's just mm. funny that it came up in that um, a very relevant conversation at the moment. I didn't watch the Zane Lowe interviews, a good? Uh, I didn't watch it either. Okay. It wasn't relevant to my interests. Yeah. I find him, a, a, it's kind of a hard interviewer to watch sometimes, but yeah, I did I love he, his... he gets good stuff out of people, but um, yeah. just you have to watch him yeah. talk. I, his one that he did with Tom York after anima was excellent and they both like he was clearly just kind of losing his mind a bit that he was interviewing tom york who i think is like a hero of his but once the two of them settled into it it was actually grand he sort of calmed down a little bit and it was grand so yeah I, i'd recommend that i yeah i'll, I'll watch the, the his one with billy eilish last year was worth watch as well oh really so, yeah i mean yeah. He, he does he can be good at interview at interviews yeah uh, but i think yes. i just remember him from MTV and feeling like he was maybe a little bit awkward then, but he's obviously got. I think better. it's more case if you feel like he he's trying to, for me anyway. He's trying to insert himself into some of the conversations. Okay, right. And he shouldn't yeah. be. Yeah, know, yeah. Like, oh, he's like a really good one with Father John Misty, actually. Really, really good. Oh, yeah. And Josh Tillman is like, but he just goes very gives forthcoming. Good interviews anyway, he right? does, but he's like, re he's particularly forthcoming and willing to engage in this because Zane Lowe's asking like actual intelligent questions about like philosophy and stuff. It's all really like two wanky guys talking about like can't but it's it's worth a watch if you're if you're into fjm for yeah, sure very good um two things that uh, jumped out at me this week uh from the world of pop music especially is that cheryl cole's waxwork was removed <laughs> from madame tussauds because she's apparently no longer relevant amazing that is uh, all i'll say about that apparently that is what they said <laughs> they, they took her out of the of the museum Apparently they rotate these people all the time. Yeah, though she is not currently I just, relevant. I just love that a somebody inquired about where she was, and b they were like, "Well, she's no longer relevant." So <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. Bit harsh, but there you go. Nah. Um, in uh, Taylor Swift news, um, 
you know the song that she had out me that we, i saw mm. this that awful moment in it where she's like hey kids yeah. spelling is fun so this is the 21st century you know uh, an artist can respond to criticism and then take something out of their album yeah. so this is what's happened she has taken out the insufferable spelling is fun bit out of the it's song. the worst part of the song you can't spell awesome without me hey kids uh, spelling is fun that, whole that is song. no longer gonna be on the album apparently no so there you go the song shouldn't be on the album it's garbage <laughs> i haven't listened to any of the other singles that have come out around the album i'm gonna wait until friday and see what the sus is with the actual album it's out friday is it it's out friday i believe 99 percent sure it's friday um and then it's i guess it's swifty season again yeah here we go okay um in in the complete opposite to Taylor Swift season um Neil Young did an interview with the New York Times and uh, you know like a few years ago he had this whole audio format that he was trying to pedal and mm. this like mp3 player for want of a better word basically audio player called Pono I believe it was mm. called so it was a lossless like uh lossless quality audio player especially designed not to lose any of these so anyone who doesn't know quick one um, just to, mp3 files are compressed so they lose some of the information some of the information that we cannot hear in our uh, we can't detect but maybe our bodies could if you were playing stuff at very loud volumes and mm. um, so some of the information is compressed and and uh, discarded so a lossless file is all of the information from the original recording file uh present and correct so people who have very good hi-fi sound systems and uh high-end audio uh, equipment like the lossless equipment same with DJing, for example, mm. like you always try and get a at least a three twenty MP three, which isn't lossless, but like as close as you can get it in terms of compression. So, or a WAV file. Um, but he was talking about uh, Spotify and uh, he says, uh, when you hear real music, you get lost in it because it sounds like God. Spotify doesn't sound like God. No one thinks that. It sounds like a rotating electric fan that someone bought at a hardware store. But that last part. <laughs> In the New York Times magazine, that last part when he says Spotify doesn't sound like God, no one thinks that it sounds like a rotating electric fan. That's the that's the writer saying that. Oh, yeah. So I took umbrage with this. I was like, "Who is this guy?" Mm. Like, so Neil Neil Young says, "Sorry, yeah, it right. sounds like God." And then the the writer is like, "Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. Spotify is shit. It sounds like an electric fan." It's like, no, it doesn't. Like, don't be silly. Don't yeah. be a silly Billy about okay, it. All right, I thought that was Neil Young going hard. Well, well, no, Neil Neil Young still goes in quite hard, but um, the the author of the piece, David Samuels, um, is just like hard agreeing at every single stop in it. Whereas, like, yeah, if you're interviewing Neil Young, you, you're hardly going to be sitting there disagreeing with him. Yeah, scary man. Well, Neil Young did um, try and get his lawyers to uh, figure out what his Facebook user agreement meant. <laughs> Turns out they could not do it. I'm pissed off about my user agreement, he says on Facebook. I'm pissed off about my privacy policy. So, yeah. Same, Neil. Same. <laughs> I just wish I had a lawyer to go and like, let me just read this for me and see if it's a, like, all right. <laughs> it's like that South Park episode where everyone clicks, I agree on all of the uh, terms and conditions and they put things in the terms and conditions that are um, detrimental to humanity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I recently was about to download an app. My friend recommended it to me. It's kind of silly app about like horoscopes and stuff. But I read like most of the user agreement on it before I downloaded it. Or no, I, I did I decided not to download it um oh, right. after reading it. But it was just I had just watched that 
face or that uh, Cambridge Analytica documentary on Netflix, which is only okay. Um, I haven't watched that yet, actually. It's, uh, you kind of, I, I wouldn't go as far as to recommend it. It's kind of, oh, it's okay. just stuff you yeah, already know, really. Yeah. If, if you were following Cambridge Analytica it when it happened, yeah, 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 it's it's no real new information. But yeah, I was like, so for every app now, I'm going to read the service agreement, I'm going to read everything that I sign up to. And then I didn't download that app. And now I just can't download any apps because I don't have the time <laughs> to go through all of my service agreements. That's so. a lot to ask. I know, I know. That's why they exist. Mm. Um, okay, uh, let's move on to songs of the week this week. We will start with Kim Gordon. This is the first song from her uh, solo uh, album. Uh, this is called Sketch Artist. Mm, sketch Artist. Sketch Artist. No enchantment strike. Your dead stare strikes. And the wind chimes strikes. And your dead stare That is Kim Gordon, obviously, of course, of uh, formerly of Sonic Youth, who was recently in Dublin to uh, launch an exhibition and play a solo set, which I wasn't at, but I would imagine some of the music was like this because mm. it was, apparently it was very kind of droney improvised stuff um i guess this is kind of different vibe from what you may expect but i guess kim gordon is the kind of artist who can do whatever she likes um and has the uh um i guess capacity and um resources to do that and um, this is from an album called no home record uh to release on october 13th on matador are you a Kim Gordon fan, Andrea? Uh, yeah, I, li- I like her a lot as a as an entity who exists in the business and this kind of... In the biz. In, in the, the biz, biz, you know, El uh, Kim. You know, Kim's in the biz. Ah, Kim. Um, but she, yeah, I think she's a really, really interesting character. So I was excited when I saw that she released this and that she's she has an album upcoming. This, I so I, I suggested this for one of our songs this week because with the amount of times... I've listened to this song. You'd think I would have decided whether or not I like it by now, but I I can't land on it. I'm like, I find it interesting, sure, but I can't ever see myself in a situation where I'm like, oh, I definitely need to throw on sketch artists. (laughs) So I think it's one of those where it will probably work beautifully in an album. It'll probably just slot in and it'll make complete sense. But for now, I'm at a loss as to how to yeah. feel about it. It's the opening it, track on the album, so I'm Oh, not is sure. it? Yeah, oh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, so. Could yeah. be setting the tone for, for the album. There is another song off it which is not as harsh or industrial, mm. but it's a similar vibe. So Yeah, it's challenging for sure, which which is good, I think. Yeah. But I, I, maybe I'm just not up to the challenge quite yet. <laughs> I'm not up to the challenge. No. <laughs> I'm tired. It's been be a long week. Um, okay, well, speaking of challenging, we have our second song of the week is from a band called Girl Band, and it sounds like this. Is Oh, 
think I chose the most uh, intense part of that song, which is uh, uh, saying something. Um, that is Girl Band's song called uh, Going Norway, the second track from their forthcoming album, The Talkies, which is out on September 27th. Um, yeah, so this is the second track we've heard from Girl Band since uh, Shoulder Blades came out a couple of months ago. Um, we were just looking at the lyrics to that song there, and uh, as you may expect, don't make immediate sense. But, uh, no, they, they they will require time, I think. Yeah. Um, I like this song. Um, I like Gervan anyway. I think they're just like an interesting proposition. It is that kind of level of intensity and like, um, what would you call it? Um, it's like discombobulating in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. It's um, for a lot of people's untrained ears, they, it may just sound like pure shouting. Um, but there's much more going on there and that's mm. why I think I like uh, Gurban so much it's not noise for noise's sake it's noise that uh, has an impact and some sort of like once you get into under the skin of it you're like oh there's something else going on here mm. and uh, um, this is I have heard the album and I won't say what I feel about it yet because I haven't listened to it enough to know but um, I think this is one of the better uh, most immediate tracks on, on the album mm. um, it's very loud and it's very girl band, I would say. That's how I like them. Um, so I, I definitely agree that, you know, the more you dive into them, the more you the more you get out of it. But I, I love girl band for the immediacy of the impact that their music has on you. And I find it hard to put my finger on it. I remember when I saw them in Vicar Street, the last time they did Vicar Street, I was just completely bowled over by how much... I was responding to what I was hearing, like just like physically in that, like I couldn't stand still. It was so jittering and affecting and like I said, immediate. And then also emotionally, I was like, this, this isn't usually the kind of thing that affects me emotionally but I was just like I don't know whether to cry or mosh. Like, I don't know what's going on with me. And I absolutely get this from from this track I love this track like when I when it came out and I listened to it first I just kept going back and like replay 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 and it hasn't lost any of its kind of um urgency or or impact for me I'm like absolutely mad about this track love it I think that's what I'm trying to get out there by saying about um the, you know it's a very primal um it's very primal music mm. girl band, and I think that's why maybe we respond physiologically to it because yeah. it's very much like it feels like a primal screen it's music that makes you break out in a sweat even yeah. if you're sitting on a bus like do you know uh, yeah and i think like a lot of loud music goes for that uh vibe but this does it in a way that is just so like it is so uh primary almost it's so like um basic in a in a really nice way it's mm-hmm. like it's accessing parts of your your brain and your uh, the flight or fly, flight or fight response almost. It's I like, think that's it exactly. It's yeah, like, that's why it, it it is such a strong feeling mm. when you listen to Gurban because they have tapped into something very uh, unique and very primal. So mm. that's my review of Gurban. Yes, <laughs> don't need to talk about the album now. I know uh, it is a great song. I haven't watched the video yet. Actually, video is fantastic. Is it? Yeah, yeah it's Bob really Gallagher really great. Did it once again. Yeah, just keeps knocking them out of the park. Yeah. Um, yeah, video is really really fantastic. It's great. I would expect that. Mm-hmm. I must give that a watch. Um, yeah, that is Gurban. The song is called Going Norway. Up next, we have a song from Kojak and Luca Palm from their Green Diesel mixtape coming out on September 6th. This is called Airbnb. Airbnb. 
Jack and Luca Palm. The song is called Airbnb from their forthcoming Green Diesel mixtape. They're going to be doing uh, some tour dates together around this. They started out doing four songs um, uh, as a kind of collaboration and then ended up with like 11 tracks. So they're releasing an EP mixtape kind of thing um, mm-hmm. as a result. Uh, they have both been on each other's tracks uh, in the last couple of years. Interesting um, to note. I don't know if this is <clears throat> part of the Kojak discography officially or if this is like a Kojak and Luca Palm together, so it's a once-off thing. I like the production of this. It's very uh, markedly different to the earlier Kojak stuff where it was more like jazzy kind mm. of hip-hop beats um, and more of the kind of stuff that Luca Palm has done recently. Um, so I like this a lot and I think this is showing a nice progression for both of the artists they're both very good at just uh, whispering almost over beat mm-hmm. <laughs> you know whispering and mumbling over beat uh, song is called Airbnb Dre what do you think of it? Uh, yeah really really like it um, I, I do love when Kojak kind of embraces jazz and stuff So, but this is a nice surprise it's a nice change uh, to hear from him and yeah it, it just it goes a lot goes a lot harder than so, this soft boy going harder than yeah. than before and I do like it I think it works really well and you know they they manage to be kind of smoothy but also witty and that you, you completely just expect that from these lads you know like just very kind of funny over but also aware and tapping into stuff that is just just re- really on the nose and yeah i'm a i'm a really really big fan of this um yeah it's really good yeah they say well i think the mo seems to be according to kojak is uh buying fucking tunes yeah so that's what this uh, mixtape is going to be about mm. green diesel also a good name uh as well it um, is a good name isn't it yeah. i do like that uh kojak is on is supporting slow tie around europe this october so that's uh Good show for him and uh, good for anyone going to see those shows. Yeah. Uh, Sultan himself was supporting Liam Gallagher, which is a bit weird. But anyway, um, that's a separate issue. Why um, me? Why not me, LG? <laughs> something else that is a good uh, song title or, or title this week is uh, our next track from Mix and Fairbanks. It is called Ground Control and Major Toms.
That is Mix and Fairbanks. The song is called Ground Control and Major Toms. That's a new track from the Kildare duo. Uh, got released on Friday. Uh, with being supported by Pete Tong and uh, others. I actually heard this. I know the love story ah. from one of the DJs. So um, nice to hear. Um, these lads are really good at making this kind of um, melodic disco edited kind of music uh this actually track reminds me a lot of the most recent crystal clear tracks mm-hmm. as well uh i just think they're really good at what they're doing and i hope in the next while they will break out of uh ireland a bit more and uh tracks like this will certainly help and being played on the likes of Pete tong will certainly help and uh playing festivals in the uk and all that kind of stuff so i think they're primed for much greater things in the uh dance world Dre, what do you think it is a good, wholesome, boppy good time. A good, wholesome, boppy good time. Yeah. Put it on the press release, lads. That's why you can say that is uh, mixing Fairbanks. Yeah, I just really like them. They did. It. They're just such uh, good producers. Yeah, and, uh, they did a great uh, mix for us um, back about two, three years ago. Um, it was a really clever idea. We were doing the Nile Nine mix series, and they did um, all their all the songs were just songs that featured the the Lindrum. Mm-hmm. which is like the drum machine that like Prince would always use. And it, so it was just like a very particular drum pattern sound. Mm. And it was like, it's just a really lovely 35 minute mix of all these 80s tunes that had this Lindrum in it. That's that's um, really cool. So you can listen to that on the website. And uh, it is from Mix and Fairbanks. Song's called Ground Control and Major Toms. So time for our album of the week. We are going to talk about the debut album from the Murder Capital. Uh, it is called I Have Fe- When I Have Fears. Um, they are James McGovern, Damien Toot, uh, Carl Roper, Gabriel Paschal Blake, uh, Dermot Brennan. And uh, they are um, a very buzzed about band at the moment. So let's have a listen to the opening track from their album. This is called For Everything from When I Have Fears from the Murder Capital. track from the murder capitals album when i have fears um yeah so that came out last week at the a time of of talking because we're talking mouthy words right now on podcasts yeah um it is uh apparently uh doing quite well in the uk charts and might be in the top 10 uk charts and looking like it could maybe make number one in the irish album chart does that mean anything these days i don't know but anyway it's a it's a an indication that the band are, have made an impact mm-hmm. in a very short amount of time. I think it was like August last year. They played a gig for me in the in the Soundhouse in Dublin, 
as part of the Dublin Keys Festival. Maybe it was July. Um, and that was one of the first. They'd only appeared earlier that year through a video, a Soma and O'Hara's video of the second song, More Is Less. And uh, seemed to make it a very immediate impact. Got management almost straight away. And uh, we're just basically on tour, they said. So supported the likes of Shame and uh, got, I guess, got lumped in with what's going on in the zeitgeist at the moment in terms of... Uh, guitar music making a comeback so i guess they're most they've been you know associated with the likes of shame they have supported the band uh it's it's like the same breadth of bands are getting mentioned all the time idols shame uh fontaine's dc all that kind of stuff is being mentioned in the same breath as this thing that's happening in music so um rather than compare them um i actually went back yesterday and to contextualize this kind of idea that all these bands are like friends or whatever hanging out and they all sound the same as each other they're totally not um so for example idols are a very different band to this idols lyrics are very are actually really great and uh, i just don't really like their music that much it's mm. very like kind of garagey rock kind of buzz and it's just not really my thing uh i found shame to be more of an american alt rock style music kind of more like emotional almost but um and then of course like the thing that keeps happening in the last six months is that the fontaines and the girl band and murder capital are all being put in together N- none of these bands and <laughs> anything remotely like each other really yeah. other than the fact that they have an established mode of communication which is rock and roll or guitar music yeah um and singing in Dublin accents and yes possibly singing Dublin accents yeah the murder capital though i find um, very brief opening gamut for this album. It's very moody and atmospheric in ways that recalls 80s post-punk. And I feel like it is more, it's easier to compare the music of the past when you're listening to, to the likes of the Murder Capital because they definitely feel like they're indebted to a much uh, older part of music. But also I, I the band that I kept thinking of in terms of a closest contemporary peer would be the band Savages. Mm. I find a lot of the same kind of energy, frenetic energy in their music. So the album was produced by Flood, who was known for working with Nine Inch Nails and loads of bands, especially in the early 90s. Uh, yeah. Flood was known for, I think... Um, New he, Order as well, especially. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people who draw that comparison with this album as well. Yeah, and I think his production manages to make this debut a very cohesive offering in both in tone and atmosphere, um, even if it, sometimes it can be quite dour gloomy, intense, cathartic, um, anxiety-ridden, um, angsty. Um, it is an album that's also informed by grief as well. Um, so, Dre, what do you make of, what are your opening feelings about this album from The Murder Capital? Yeah, so I think, you know, going into listening to this, I really, really had to set aside any kind of expectations. Um in terms of you know that the hype machine has been working overtime with this uh, with this band um pre-release of the album like people were talking about these guys being the next big thing when they had one song out kind of thing and I'm always a little bit suspicious of of things like that and I like to wait so going into it I had to really just clear the slate in my mind and listen to it as it's its own thing and I was completely taken in by it um and I don't want to say I was surprised by that, but I was I was kind of relieved because I, I wanted to like these guys. I wanted to root for them um, and I wanted to not be 
a consistent kind of outlier with this whole Irish rock revolution thing. You know, I wasn't that mad about the Fontaine CC uh, record and I didn't want to have the same experience with this album. And, you know, thankfully, I I really, really, really like it. I find it I find it not not as difficult to listen as I think you did. But yeah, I just find it very intense a, a lot of the ways through. I think a lot of that is down to the tone, the vocals, mm. and um, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, I'm definitely feeling, um, it can feel like a lot of, not work sometimes, but I'm not sure what the quite right way to say it is. Mm. Um, it's a hard well to go back to sometimes because it's, mm. you know, it is like all of those things. It's very angsty. It can be quite intense. It's like quite poetic and uh in ways i think james mcgovern's voice is one of those things that either uh, makes it or breaks it for you when i saw them play that gig i mentioned in the soundhouse uh, in dublin last year i was really impressed by his stage presence and mm. his like thousand yard stare that he had and and his intensity but for a lot of other people that turned them off okay the it was like oh he's putting this on and all that mm. kind of stuff and like Music is performance. I'm sorry. Like, I don't mind if somebody's like getting into that too much. Like, like he was up on stage performing. So like, I have no problem with somebody yeah. uh, channeling some level of intensity that they might have mm. in themselves. So I, f- I feel like there's, there's no, he, he, he nearly has two distinct voices on this album. Like you've got the kind of, I don't want to use the word shouty, but you, you know what I mean when I say that, like sh- the shouty, the bellowing uh, yeah, the for everything. More, more, more. Yeah, more yeah. is less. Um, don't cling to life. But then there's there's a kind of a not not a lull in the middle, but it, but it lets up a little bit to kind of be a little bit more um, introspective and mellow in the middle with slow dance one and two and on twisted ground and then later on on how the streets adore me now where he's singing well first of all he's singing not not kind of shouting um and it's a much much lower register and i find that tone of voice really interesting and really engaging when he does tap into that it's i i find it a lot more accessible i think there's the, the greatest balance between those two sides of of his performance vocally is "Don't Cling to Life," where I th- I, th- I think you do get a, a kind of a delicacy um, in in vocal performance while also maintaining that kind of high energy. Um, and I, th- I I think you're you're dead right when you say that it's it's poetic. It's it's very it's a very very poetic album, but it never really feels to me like it's reaching beyond itself um I feel like there's there's actual fresh ideas here about grief and about loss and about anxiety that you know just aren't aren't making or driving home the same point as every other band who sings about grief and loss and anxiety I think there's actual new good <laughs> it's so funny to say like there's new metaphors oh my god we thought we used them all but yeah, it, it can sometimes feel that way in music where people are kind of going back to these like platitudes and um there's there's some re- really really interesting imagery on this album some of it can hit you like a ton of bricks right away and others i i i personally found would kind of sit with me for a couple of days and then when i returned to the album i'd be like oh i actually i get that now i get that because that's happening because that's happening and um and then I think m- musically it's 
it's interesting. It's complex. It's not, it's again, not like anything else that is being hyped up as the revolution of Irish rock music at the moment. It's definitely much more indebted to the past, but managing to still kind of sound like I, I love that sludgy, drudgy bass that runs through it. It's mm. so heavy. Yeah, and I just really associate that with like a grungy early 90s, late 80s kind of music. Yeah. And, and actually like the, the references I keep coming back to were um, the likes of the Smashing Pumpkins actually yeah. for that song on Twisted Ground. It really reminds me if you could imagine Billy Gorton singing over mm. that song. Mm. And uh, like Joy Division is maybe a more obvious one for some of them. Don't Cling to Life is, is one of the ones that I feel like it really does channel Joy Division's style of melodies in it. Yeah. Um, and then there are other songs on there that I'm like, um, remind me of completely different things like uh, Slow Dance 1 and 2, uh, the second half in particular, the instrumental part, reminds me of uh, the early work from The Verve. Very really, much yeah. like psychedelic, spacey rock kind mm. of music. Uh, really reminds me of that. I think those, that Slow Dance 1 and 2 are very necessary contrasting songs for the album because um, they are, they do allow things to breathe a bit more. Mm. It's not just like, we don't just have 10 songs of James McGovern like shouting at us in a fairly monotone voice. He gives no. it, it gives the album a bit of, of uh, light, even though it is quite dark. But, yeah. Uh, different shades for sure. But I think that 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 happens in the guitar too a lot. Like I, I think it's it's very urgent for maybe the first three songs and then in, in those those two tracks, Slow Dance One and Two, it does it it leans into a kind of a more a, a delicacy that put me in mind of like some post rock bands that I really like or just some some more kind of melodic teasing out melodic ideas more so than you know playing riffs and I think that that went a long way to kind of just let up for a minute um not not that the lyrics on slow dance one let you let up really because they're they're quite hard hitting um but I, I I think this album gets better as it goes on um mm. I I wouldn't I wouldn't have thought that I would have gotten everything that I got out of it from listening to like the first two tracks, which I do like, but there's so much more in it. It 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 runs so much deeper the further along you get in the track list, I think. Yeah. Um I enjoyed um the fact that the you know, on that slow dance one two, the the cello on it was quite nice. It was yeah. really lovely. And uh, it did add a bit more of a different texture to what the band were doing. And then later on, when there's some piano over uh, one of the songs, it's like how the streets adore me now. It sounds like he, they're trying to cover Johnny Cash's hurt under a blanket. Oh, while, yeah. <laughs> while their roommate is sleeping beside them, just really small and very intimate and mumble, mumbling kind of whispers over. You, you can kind of like in the distance. Like I, I love how on how the streets adore me now. You can, you can hear that it's a produced song. Like you can hear the moment before he starts singing that there's interaction between him and the microphone, for example, or you can hear a little bit of space around it. And then when the vocals happen, it kind of closes that gap and it it really reinforces that immediacy and that intimacy between you and the lyrics or you and the vocals or whatever it is. Um, I, I think the piano work on that is beautiful. And I'm, I'm, I, I really, I, I admire and like that they have, you know, a, a piano work in it and they have the cello in it and they're not like, that's, 
that alone is kind of setting them apart from from these other bands that we're talking about they they are engaging with more traditional ways of evoking you know very strong emotive harmonies um like if if you want to make someone feel something get a cello in you know it's like the saddest instrument in the orchestra so it's it's um it's it's a good way to do it but o- overall I, I i like i keep having to kind of remind myself that this is a debut and it's it's very surprising to me that it is yeah i think that was one of the first things that struck me about it how accomplished it all felt and i guess one of the worries i had about the murder capital um, coming out with a debut album so soon after they first appeared was that it is very soon. Mm. It is hard to be a band that has fully formed identity and a collection of songs that would be totally engaging. And I was slightly worried that, you know, they would release 10 songs that were just like whatever the first 10 songs they had recorded together yeah. and it just wouldn't work and they had rushed it out. I After the first listen, I was like, okay, I breathe a sigh of relief because they are... They have not done that. They these songs are well written and not just thrown together. Mm. They aren't just the first collection of demos they recorded. Maybe and they're and sequenced like, intentionally. Yeah, There's a narrative. The thing. You yeah, know? the the fact that the slow dance one and two uh, are fourth and fifth on the record, and then on Twisted Ground, which is like a good six minute track. Um, allows this album to center itself really nicely, and so that it isn't just like yeah him bellowing at you yeah. um, the whole time or, or yelling or howling or whatever it is. It is kind of gives you that shade and in, in, in the band and you kind of understand that like, okay, they didn't just go in and they thought about the sequencing of the song, this album and how they were going to do it. Um, like I said, there's two songs about grief there um, and it they have something to say. And while the lyrics are very impressionistic for me, there's a, one song in particular, Green and Blue, which is about, an American photographer called Francesca Woodman that they were inspired by. Um, yeah, there's there's things being discussed here and it's not always immediately obvious because they're quite opaque in terms of the lyrics. But um, I... But it's not like... It, it's not opaque in terms of lyrics on like a girl band level or... And, and it's not, you know, the stream of conscious immediacy. No, of every that. word was carefully chosen. It, exactly. Like ev- every word does a job on this you know and like i'm i'm speaking m- mostly about the songs that i really really love the, the ones that i mentioned previously but like eh, some of them a lot of this album you can just read the lyrics and it, it works as as poetry which is and i know like i i said before we recorded we were recording that like i didn't want to do the it's it's not like Fontaine's because, or it is like Fontaine's because, but like, I, I didn't get that with, with the Fontaine's DC album. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, that that was poetic in its, in its own way, I guess. The colloquial but, way. That's kind of. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, it, it's proper, it's proper well thought out music and it's well thought out poetic ideas. And I, I'm like genuinely really, really impressed by it as a, as a as a debut but even if this was the fourth album from a band you know I'd, I'd I'd still be really really impressed by it I think a lot of it is probably down to the production on it by um Flood yeah which is just it's it's beautiful like and it it feels like it's a six member of the band if that's not too New York is a character in the movie <laughs> um it does feel like without it maybe that that kind of narrative or mood of of the overall piece wouldn't have slotted in as well. 
Um, but yeah, I'm just, you know, relieved and happy and excited now that I have a, a band to root for and, and be really excited about. Yeah. Yeah. If there's anything negative I'd say about the album is like at some point the um, kind of there are kind of established almost like rock and roll tropes that they kind of seem to be falling back on in terms of sounds or the kind of mm. tones. Is it that and I love it bit? Yeah. Well, I don't <laughs> mind that too much. Like you know, like that song is kind of the, the way into the album yeah. almost like more I or like less. That. It's the it's the one that could easily be parodied. And if you can make a song that can be easily easily parodied, you're probably doing something right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I would, yeah. I just, I, uh, I like when they open up the space a bit more, and um, I'd love to hear, which we will presumably first album in, and uh, they will make more music. Um, uh, hear what kind of nuance they can find in those spaces to mm. make themselves stand apart, because I think there's still a lot of the music here that is indebted to what came before. They just do it really well. Um, yeah, and I think that maybe they're like one of. I, I think you're right about the production. The production works really well on this album and that hangs it all together. But maybe if there was one negative about the production, it's that it comes from somebody who's well used to working in classic rock records. Mm -hmm. And so therefore it has some of that DNA in Nearly it. Nearly applying a filter to something. Yeah, and, I mean, that's a yeah. more cynical than I yeah. would it suggests it is happening, but it is some of the, somebody who's experienced in making mm. like, a lot of classic records can end up like uh, having not a formula per se, but like have an imprint for what they, how they think should sound. And yeah. Should look, so. Like I think I, I, that's like, I, I want to avoid, or I have been avoiding thinking about this as like any kind of a punk or post-punk kind of album, because, you know, just cause someone's shouting on it doesn't make it punk at industry. Um, because it is, it is well thought out and it's, it's highly produced and it's produced to like a profession in a professional capacity in a way that really gets the best out of each of the songs. This isn't the kind of album where you feel like they just walked into the studio, picked up their instruments and started banging out poetry. Do you yeah. know, this is, this is well thought out. It's curated and I don't mind that. It's yeah. refreshing. Um, according to the Apple Music notes, uh, the song Feeling Fades was uh, written apparently after Geek in the Soundhouse. That must possibly be the one that we put on. So there you go. Feeling Fades was written after that uh, gig. You're welcome. Gig. Um, so that's uh, the murder capital. I think we both agree that um, there's a lot to be positive about here. Mm. And uh, isn't that a good thing sometimes? Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see where they go with this. They are, have a huge momentum at the moment. And mm. um yeah, um, they are, I'm sure, going to be considered to be released one of the best Irish albums of the year based on this. I, sure. I would certainly hope so. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's hear, have a listen to a bit of the song on Twisted Ground from the Murder Capital. Twisted ground 
Instagram from the Murder Couples album When I Have Fears, our album of the week this week. Now, Dre, it's uh, time to ask what have you been reading, watching, or listening to this week? So I have been, in, in true Andrea Cleary fashion, I'm always, you know, first on the button with things. I've been watching Line of Duty. Oh have yeah, I tried that? to watch that, I couldn't get into it. Oh my god, know. you're so wrong. There's so many series though. Oh yeah, I don't mind that, that's fine. Yeah, but like, there's Eek. like there's like four seasons of it or something. Oh no. Five and seasons? I'm like, I think oh, five, yeah. I can't get so, into that. So, uh, myself and himself started watching it from season one and we were just hooked. We're on season two now and it is like, it's like literally blink and you'll miss it. Like yeah. s- something happens every second in it. And like you'll go from one one end of an episode to the other and, you know, half the cast will have died and the other half will have gotten promotions. And um, yeah, it's really, really great. I'm really, really enjoying it. Obviously, very late to the party, but it's yeah, phenomenal. My parents for a were while. telling me to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like my mom would love this. It's just a good crime drama that happens like a hundred miles an hour. Um, I, the cast are brilliant. Um, I, I am, I, I'm enjoying season two more than I enjoyed. I loved season one, but I'm enjoying season two even more. Um, and a lot of people say that that is their favorite one. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I've been enjoying that. Uh, listening to, uh, like. Outside of review, I haven't been listening to much. Although I did, do you ever have? Do you have music that you're like? Oh no, I can't really go go back to that. I'm like, oh, like yes, uh, yeah. So for some reason, I don't know why, I was like, do you know what? Oh, oh no, it it was that a Fallout Boy song came on in work, and then someone put on like an emo playlist from like the early two thousands or whatever. And I was like, okay, this is, you know, getting into territory where I'm like hashtag triggered for the past <laughs> or whatever. But um, then on the bus home, I was like, I'm going to put on Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge by My Chemical Romance. and I'm going to listen to it. And I'm going to see how I feel. And I put it on and I was like vibrating. Like I was like nervous going in listening to it. It was kind of like meeting up with an ex after 10 years or something. <laughs> like it was really, really strange. Um. And I think it still holds up like it's I, I mean, everybody knows this, like not not everybody abandoned their their emo phase as kind of like cut off as I did. Yeah. But um, yeah, listen to that on the way home. And then when I got home, I put on what's the fallout boy one under the tree? Oh, <laughs> Something. Listen, you're asking the wrong person. Here. The, fir- the first album that they had that had Sugar We're Going Down on it, I put that on and I was like this is also still good. So I was like, okay, this is fine. You know, I think the closest comparison I probably have to that is like, who I still have a soft spot for every now and again, but like specifically the Holy Bible by the Manic Street Preachers. Okay. I was mad into that when I was like 15 or 16. Mm -hmm. And it just reminds me of 
good and bad times. Yeah, and, and you're just, you're just like, you kind of leave, leave it that. in a corner. Yeah, I actually saw um, Errol Alkin was tweeting about um, DJing as and like taking chances and risks and like sometimes failing and sometimes not. And one of the things he said he played on a dance floor was the intense humming of evil from the Manic Street Preachers. I saw that <laughs> and I saw Dude. um <laughs> Yeah, somebody just replied, Dude, Errol, what are you doing? <laughs> like, no. Like, I, of course it wasn't gonna work. I like, saw it um, like, sounded great to me though. <laughs> like, I saw Cobina uh quote tweet that and say that he once played Sweet Caroline at like a a house DJ night and the floor just cleared. <laughs> I think that started a conversation on Twitter about like what are the yeah the like dance floor clearing track that you've that you've played. Have you done one? Uh, Trying to think. You played a song that just did not go down well. Oh, I'm sure I have, but nothing that like was memorable to the point where I was like, "That was the night." Okay, that was the night where I, I learned I wasn't going to be a DJ or was. Going to be a DJ. I was like, no, I don't think I've ever. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't think I've ever cleared the room in that way. Oh, that well, that's but maybe good. I have. I must have mm. once at one point. Yeah, but maybe it wasn't a reaction to song. Maybe it's just like whatever. Everyone's gone for a smoke at the yeah, same time. Something like that. We'll go with that. Yeah, I mean that's the thing about DJing, like the ebbing and flowing of like we have our club limo on Saturday, plug plug plug. Um, <laughs> um, but you know, at the early part of the night, there's a certain part where like before between eleven, I will say half eleven and half twelve. Because we open the doors at half ten, um, it's kind of like that time. It depends on who's in and what kind of people they are, and mm. how they are they dancing crowd or are they not dancing crowd. There's like a seal has to be broken on a dance floor, yeah, at a club. Lizzo, you're just never sure what it's going to be, and sometimes it's like something completely unexpected, and sometimes it isn't. I've certainly had that feeling where I'm like. I just played the wrong song and I wish I could take this <laughs> off and I'm going to try and take this off right now. Uh, I, I That happens to me all the time. Yeah. But um, usually I just have to go, that's fine. It's going to be fine. And then people are like, because people don't react to it as much as I want them to. Sure. Yeah. But like, yeah. You just have to trust it. It's fine. Yeah. It, that'd be scary, I think. Yeah. I mean, even like I was playing the Ship Shack at Another Love Story and uh, it was so small and intimate. Like I could see everybody mm. who I was playing to I was like, oh, are they really liking this? Are they not Do you like this? this? Do you like yeah. this song? And I was like, I couldn't quite tell it at the, when I was starting because it was a very short set. It was an hour set. Mm. So I was playing all sorts. Um, but, um, did you play any ABBA? Uh, no, not this time. Not this time. Although I was playing at midnight, so I did think about playing uh, Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. I mean. Um, but, you know, that's a, though, I think I'm trying to keep ABBA for those special nights. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Somebody described uh, me playing ABBA uh, on a DJ set once as... Uh, I want who I met over the weekend as iconic. So, like, um, yeah, I'm going to keep it for the iconic nights if yeah. that's possible. No, I think um, I think you're dead right. Yeah, try and keep it spare. Um, but yeah, and I'll have a great time. A great time. But um, yeah, it's always that thing. Every time you go to put on a particular song, you're like, oh, I hope people like this. Yeah, I I have like secondary anxiety for DJs when I like I'm not in the club very often. Yeah. Um, but sometimes when even I hear a risky song come on, I'm like, oh, I hope people respond well. Like, I just, I don't know if I could do it myself. I'm just, them all. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm rooting for you, man. Um, <laughs> I think it was uh, Young Marco, the DJ that I love, um, talking, talked recently in an interview about how, you know, you kind of have to, He's he plays a lot of curveballs and you kind of have to play the, that music to mm. filter out the crowds because of the people that actually want to be there to dance and not just there to look cool or actually yeah. dancing. Um, so sometimes it's necessary to really like reset everything and mm. just like clear out those people who aren't even paying attention in the first place. Yeah. And if you build that crowd back up, I think you're doing a really good job. Well, do you know what I used to love is when, when I was in college and I was going out with my friends a lot and we'd go to like 
house music nights, like very, very like cool crowd and like you have to kind of act a certain way and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not really that about that. I, I want to go out and dance and have a good time. And I always appreciated when like late in the night when it's like really, really like deep house and it's like, oh God, this is kind of intense. Everybody's on drugs. I'm, I don't know about this, but then they'll just throw in like a huge pop song and it just, it changes the mood entirely, but nobody who's there for the house music leaves the dance floor. Like, yeah. cause they know that song too. They love it. And yeah. everyone just starts like, I don't know, it, it, it shifts the mood into something that bit more like communal and just gas, which is what I think clubs should be. Yeah, I think that's one of the things we try and do with Lumos. And I, I think a lot of DJs are way too serious about what they're doing. They're just doing. too cool about it. Yeah, yeah, and like, you know, if you want to play an album song, fucking play an album song. Just yeah, do it. And exactly. I think a lot more people are doing that now, but for a lot of, a lot of time, uh, especially like maybe in the last 10, 15 years, some of that was lost a bit mm. and some of the music that got played was just like very serious and yeah like, clubbing's supposed to be fun it's yeah it's like i good. just had a day of college i don't want to come here and feel like i'm like, dumb like you if know? you want to play something really obvious and, and poppy like that's why i love like we're playing with optimo on saturday and as well as they're known for their wide selection of tunes they're also known for playing uh, madonna's home up yeah regularly so it's like one of those things. It's like just own it. Just yeah. play it. Make just it your thing. Just play it. Like, yeah. So I definitely uh, prescribe to that um, level of thinking in terms of DJing. And that's kind of what we do with Luma. That's kind of the vibe. Mm. It's like you're supposed to, like nothing is off the cards. Yeah. Nothing is off the table. And it's Spacer too. I remember when I was at Spacer, there was, there was, there was an El Abba. Oh yeah. And uh, well, everyone I mean, lost their damn mind. What else do we play like recently? Like, I mean, I guess with Luma, like we definitely try and play some of those songs. Like, um, we had a Christmas night where we had the last song was The Power of Love. And oh, at first... The Christmas song. Yeah, I was really confused at first because he said, I'm going to play Power of Love. And I like just went to the other Power of Love. The other one. Like, Why? <laughs> and then he played it. And like, I, I distinctly remember Simon played it and uh, he was getting that feeling where he thought this was not going to work. Yeah. And people are not getting it. Mm. And he, he was playing it on 7-inch and he went to pulling it down and uh, turn, turn it off because he thought it wasn't working and it was just coming into the chorus yeah. and just as he pulled it down everybody started singing the chorus oh. and he was like whoop back up again <laughs> he was like let the chorus run like everyone sang it and he was like great this is working we're back, <laughs> in. We're back in so yeah it's those kind of things like those yeah. those are the excruciating like minute and a half before the chorus hits in you're yeah. like are people into this I don't know if this yeah. is the right thing to do and, yeah, so that's this, this is a, another aside actually but um I remember Annie Mac did a set in God somewhere, I'd say about three years ago on uh, Stevens's night. And I went with a load of my friends and at the very end of the set, she was, you know, thanks so much for coming out, blah, blah, blah. And then she was like, this is a song I discovered. Re I couldn't tell you what the song is. I've tried to find out, but she was like, this is a song I discovered recently. Um, you guys are great, so I'm going to need you to just stick with it. But I promise <laughs> it's worth it. And it was this really, really slow burn into, like, it, it wasn't quite like a insomnia kind of thing. But you know the way you kind of have to wait for that. It was that kind of thing. And because she was upfront about it, because she asked yeah. people, she was like, just stick with it. It'll be worth it in the end. Everyone by the end of it was just going nuts. And I really appreciated that kind of interaction and being like, 
I, I got you. Yeah. You know, I haven't let you down so far. So, yeah, I love that. I thought that well, was really that's cool. That's it's about. It's about trust. That should be yeah. uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, a DJ is known for. Just trust mm. him. Especially if you're there and you're paid in. Yeah. Um, for sure. Um, I'm still not sure about the intense humming of evil on a, on a dance floor, though. But we have played Girl Band, actually, uh, at Lumo. And uh, I have to say, I really enjoyed it. Was it why they had their bodies under my garage? Yeah. I yeah. think so. Oh, Lawman as well. I think we both. Oh, okay. Both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that's happened. I really enjoyed that. That's fair, so, I think. So yeah, um, that's what I've been doing this week, just DJing mostly. And yeah. uh, so I haven't really been watching or listening or doing anything else. So that's fair. Listen to the Murder Capital album. So that's kind of it for me this week. Uh, anything else you'd like to talk about? Um, actually, I do uh, want to shout out um, something I've I not have been reading, but something I read. I might be a week late on this, but. Dave Hanratty did a interview with a uh, clown from Slipknot, uh, who's one of his like personal heroes. And he did it for Joe.ie and I was just really impressed by the interview. I thought it was really well done and uh, would would recommend going and reading it, whether you're a Slipknot fan or not. I think it's cool. it's I worth have it. Not yeah, read that yet? It's great, really good. Right. Cool. I'm I'm afraid of the clown and like I'm afraid of all clowns, but I'm afraid <laughs> of that clown particularly. It's okay. He's not. It's not a video. No, but but the way they have it is that like when you're scrolling down through it, it's text like over an image sometimes, oh, okay. and it's just an image of the fucking clown. I'm really <laughs> afraid of him. I hate him. Um, but great interview. Yeah, very good. Um, very random thing that happened to me over the weekend. Oh, come on, Lucky's on Mead Street. Um, somebody in our group was uh is not a fan of uh birds. In general, and, like pigeons, uh, just birds uh, right. generally. And <laughs> there was a guy that came into the smoking area. He had a rab, a parrot on his on his shoulder. <laughs> I love you're, luckies. You're like, don't look now, but there's a bird <laughs> over there. <laughs> it's like it's on a like a little leash on Aww. his shoulder. Did he freak so out? Uh, Your friend, not no. the bird, or the bird? Yeah, she wasn't delighted about it. But, okay, um, fair. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Just the I, random I things you get into, in is, pubs and Mead Street. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Yeah. So that's it for <laughs> the 909 podcast this week. Uh, I think we did really well last week, apparently, in terms of numbers. So what thanks for subscribing and listening and all that kind of stuff. Thanks, guys. Uh, we do appreciate it. And uh, we will be back next week for sure. Yes. I, I'll, um, I'll be here. I'll be here too. <laughs> we hope I you'll be here you listener <laughs> uh, yeah so we'll be back uh, talking next week I'm not sure what we're talking about next week we haven't decided yet maybe Taylor Swift maybe uh, don't maybe. Know. but uh, yeah we'll be back next uh, Thursday in your feeds I presume um, and uh, that's it from us this week I'm going to leave you with a track from a new artist called Fozza that's F-O-Z-S-A the original name of the artist is Luke O'Brien. He's a, magi- mu- uh, a magician. <laughs> a, mu- a magician. A magician. Uh, a, a musician and a producer from Dublin. And uh, this is a great news song I heard from him. I really liked everything he's done so far. It is called Coconut. And uh, thank you for listening. Andre, thank you for being here. Thank you. And uh, yeah, news on loads of exciting stuff. More coming soon. Yes, yes, yes. More, more, more. More, more, more. Okay, here's Faza with Coconut. Bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.